Welcome back to the flip side, Galen Clavio, Brian Moritz, and that rustling noise in the background is my dogs basically using the couch as a trampoline. So uh, <laughs> lots of ambient noise on this edition of the flip side, and we're excited about that. Brian, good to talk to you again. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Good to be back here. Um, and f- as far as ambient noise from the basement, you have my water heater, probably my furnace kicking on a lot uh, because it is, you know, full on November here in uh, Western New York, you know, nice 38, 39 degree days. We had a little snow last week, just enough to cover the, cover the leaves and make them very heavy when you have to break them up and get them out to the to, to the front which yeah. is awesome um so are you guys are you guys uh what's your relief situation like are you a we got to get them do you bag do you do you compost do you put them out on the curb and wait for like the giant sucker thing um well here's the thing we've only got one leafing tree in oh, my yard. that is the smart way to do that but it's in the backyard mm-hmm. and and so i just mow them into the lawn because because <laughs> that's actually apparently good for the lawn yeah uh, for a long time people said it wasn't and now apparently it is so mm-hmm. uh so i brought i'll uh, i'll just mow them into the lawn and everything will be fine but most of the people in the neighborhood they, they put them on the curb and they the the leaves eventually get sucked up by the big sucking of leaves thing that comes through the neighborhood i've never actually seen it in person but i I assume it's glorious. It's super cool. I've seen ours come through, and it is. It's just an yeah. enormous truck with a. It's like the 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 Statue of Liberty, um, gigantic maid in Spaceballs. It just comes along and brings. Can't argue up. with that. No, you can't. We've uh, we've got some format changes that we're doing to the show. We're we're trying to make it a little brisker and uh, a little more focused, and also uh, just maybe a little easier for you, the people, to access the tremendous amount of middle-aged white guy wisdom (laughs) that we provide to media topics and sports topics. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're going to try to hit about three topics a show, and we're going to try to have some fun little segments involved. We're not going to do every segment every week, but we're going to try to get get some in there, and and hopefully you enjoy them. So if you've got comments on the new show format, at FlipsidePod on Twitter, you can hit either of us up at Dr. GC or at BP Moritz. Mm -hmm. On Twitter, we would welcome any comments that you happen to have. Definitely, and shout out to uh, Brian Curtis and the and uh, the Press Box podcast on uh, on the Ringer Network. I know you spent some time with him last week, and I was I started listening to it this past week ever since we had a conversation about it last week. And so uh, heavily influenced our, our new format, kind of heavily influenced by what they're by the awesome stuff that they're doing on that podcast. There, great artist. Steel, yes, is about the best the way that I can put this. But no, Brian was awesome. Probably my favorite person I've brought into our uh, our sports media program here at IU, and uh, just a, just a delightful human being. So uh, his podcast is excellent. The Press Box, I highly recommend you're listening to it if you have any interest in the things that we talk about on this show. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some things on this show. So uh, this week there was an interesting announcement that popped up that really took flight immediately after the announcement, which is a little bit unusual. But um, there was an announcement that SportsCenter, the SportsCenter franchise, is actually taking over the Snapchat Discover channel for ESPN. And so instead of what they've had in the past, which has kind of been a weird mishmash of not terribly interesting programming on Snapchat, ESPN is actually producing a Snapchat-centric Sports Center, hosted primarily by Katie Nolan. Uh, they've also got Jason Fitz 
of all people from formerly of the band Perry as an anchor, which I'm a little confused by. My wife just shot me a very, very confused look. They've also That's got the some, only reaction to that. Yeah. There's also some stand-up comedian, Cy Amundsen, who I've never heard of, but, but Katie Nolan's the big name and they're producing these like three minute long miniature sports centers, which are done in more of a Snapchatty style. And this is an interesting move uh, because frankly, yeah, I think for a lot of companies, they've been trying to figure out, okay, what's the play as far as Snapchat's concerned? And how do we start getting a hold of people who are just no longer watching SportsCenter in its traditional terrestrial cable format? So mm-hmm. let's just talk about this conceptually. I mean, you know, here you've got Katie Nolan. So we've been waiting to see what's going to happen with Katie for quite a while now. You know, she was basically like kind of like Eric Bledsoe with the Suns. Like she was just kind of (laughs) benched by Fox and not being used at all for four months, very bizarrely. And then it's finally announced what everybody already kind of knew that she was going to go to ESPN. And everybody's like, well, she's going to be on, you know, Mike Greenberg's new show, or is it going to be something else? She ends up on this sports center Snapchat thing. And I like what I see so far, but you know, with her as kind of the centerpiece of it, your overall thoughts on this play by ESPN and going this direction. I mean, when, it, when I think when the first news first came out, the 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 kind of like you said, the 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 headline was, "Hey, Katie Nolan's back doing stuff," and we've been all been waiting for her to start doing stuff again. I think so. I think that's that 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 was top of mind, and I do think that she's a perfect fit for kind of like this Snapchat audience and this kind of this this type of programming on it. I don't know how well it, that was one of kind of the big question marks. I think when she went to ESPN was what are they going to do with her? How are they going to let basically how are they going to let her be Katie Nolan on like a traditional ESPN format? This kind of goes, they're not, they're going to put her on, on, on this, on the Snapchat channel. I think it's super interesting. We were talking before we hit, we hit record and like every few months I'll like open up snap snapchat and try to try to figure it out and it's always been super inscrutable to me i mean i just turned 40 i'm not in their demographic and i've been okay with that you know that's one thing that i didn't need to get um but uh, but uh but this is an interesting it's such a fascinating and an interesting move um because i know and you know this too that our students live on that platform i mean of the social media platform it's the one where they spend the most time, where they post the most, where, where, where they do the most stuff and where they're, they're consuming the most media. And I do think that, you know, this is a really smart move by ESPN. And we have not been able to say that a lot lately um, with a lot of their moves. But I think this, this really shows like it's a perfect match of personality like katie nolan's perfect like i said katie nolan's kind of perfect for this and and like the, the kind of updating the sports center model for a new medium and you know it's funny i've been talking about this in my classes this week we're doing a mobile journalism unit and the idea that we're that that i try to talk to them about is not just taking online journalism and making it shrink to your phone size screen and but no, kind of giving them what you know what's unique about a mobile environment, te- technologically, use-wise, all that, and what it can mean for audiences, and what and how we should as journalists react to that. I think this is a great example of SportsCenter and ESPN and doing that um, in a better, more better way than you know the the Jamel Hill Jamel Hill uh, right. six. Uh, Sports Center, which is not bad, but it's it, it's just a weird. It was a fundamental, I think, misunderstanding of what Sports Center can be. Sports Center is a highlight show. 
highlight shows don't exist on TV anymore for a lot of reasons. They can't evade, you know, they're perfectly made for a mobile platform. Well, no, you're right. Okay, so there's a couple of things here to unpack. The, the idea of Katie Nolan as a television personality is interesting because she's been on TV and it hasn't really worked. It works on the internet, mm-hmm. but like Garbage Time didn't get very good ratings and was on at 1130 at night was a very late sort of thing. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. other stuff that she's done has not really worked in the traditional television format. And I kind of look at her and say like the, you know, the pardon my take guys from, you know, from, from Barstool and a couple of other entities, they're still important media entities. And there's still people that we need to have out there because they're attracting an audience. They're attracting a young audience. They're, they're, they're doing a lot of good things. But being on TV is such a difficult ask, particularly in this environment when if you're a Katie Nolan or if you're a Barstool Big Cat or whoever, the people that want to see you aren't watching you on television primarily. Right. And so this is an interesting kind of middle way or third way for ESPN to try to get her deserves. And I think that she needs. Um, so I'm interested to see how that plays out and, you know, the numbers, whether they bear out, you know, what sort of metricization ESPN can get on Snapchat and, and how they, they fill the advertising gaps. That'll be kind of a curious thing. I'm also curious to see if people will sit there and watch a three minute show on Snapchat when, you know, the average snap, even if you're watching somebody's story, like you're not going to go over much like 30 seconds in many cases. Right. Um, so how much that ends up bending things, I'm also curious about. I, you know, Brian, I'm, I, I keep looking for ways, you know, for, for ESPN to try to modernize itself. It's tough because they've got so many set pieces. You know, I mean, like I'm watching, I've got the Duke-Michigan State basketball game going on in the background here, you know. So they had the broadcast of the game, and now they've got – you know, they've got Reese Davis and Jay Williams and Seth Greenberg on a, on a desk talking, you know, in six-minute segments here during halftime. And it's like, I don't really care to watch this. Like, even if they had people that I really liked, as opposed to right. Seth Greenberg up there, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't want to watch people just talking. Like, right now, they're talking about the UCLA story. Right. It's So, I'm like, I think things like they're doing with this SportsCenter Snapchat thing are really intelligent. I just wonder how much more of this stuff they're going to have to change because it's just not reaching enough people to justify the tremendous amount of expense that they're having to go to to make it happen in many cases. Well, well and there's all, I mean, there's two things, two things here. One, um, there's the kind of conceptualization of what sports broadcasts and, and, and sports should be. And, you know, that that set piece that you're talking about, the three guys at, a ta- at the desk talking about college basketball for six minutes at a time. You know, that works in 1994. That doesn't work now when people who are watching any sport, especially college basketball, which is kind of more of a niche sport than, you know, say the NFL. But even on the NFL, like, we have so much more access to so much more expert commentary and local commentary and local reporting and all this. And, and, and so, like, that kind of general, you know, catching up on the state of college basketball in six minutes for, you know, that that broad audience, that broadcast audience. Yeah, I don't know. 
I, I don't want to say there's no place for it because certainly there are people watching this game right now who are not on the internet all day and, and reading stuff on Twitter. Like my mother is probably watching this and, and you know, catching up uh, on that. And there's, there's value to that. But in terms of long-term strategy, yeah, I don't know. The other thing I find interesting about it, kind of pivoting away from ESPN, is, you know, Snapchat itself as a company seems to be going through a real transition right now. I've caught glimpses and pieces of like, tweets and, and and articles about it and how they are kind of trying to re-brand themselves, almost re-identify themselves to get to a bigger audience so that it's not just the teen and college age and like very, very millennial app that, the, that, that they're going for. Um, and so like something like this with, with the Katie Nolan ESPN deal is brilliant for them. It is going to be fascinating to see like Snapchat, which has kind of been the, this is the, the, the social media your parents aren't on and don't get. And this is kind of where young people can be young people. Um, as more and more money kind of flows in and Snapchat kind of fights for survival, I'm interested to see kind of what more, what more happens along these lines and kind of, kind of changes to, to Snapchat from that perspective. Yeah, well, as with, as happens with every technological medium uh, in in the internet age, it's cool and it's young, and then eventually it starts getting older and it starts to suck, right. and then it's replaced by something that's younger and sucks less. Right. And I mean, I, how long Snapchat can hold off that will be interesting. And I'm also curious, maybe especially when you consider the core functions technologically of Snapchat are already in Instagram. They're already right. in Facebook. So all that's really containing the audience right now is that perception that mommy and daddy aren't in that space. Right. Yeah. It's, and you know, the, you know, the, the, in the, you know, Snapchat's kind of got an inscrutable nature to it. Like if you don't like, there's a certain intuitiveness to a Facebook or an Instagram or even a Twitter, like, okay, this is stuff that's happening. You, you open up Snapchat and it's your camera and you take a picture and then I send it to people. I send it to something called my story. And what, what has always thrown, what I realized this maybe, a, maybe earlier this year, what has always thrown me about Snapchat and this is legit, this is not like old man griping, is the lack of feedback. Is because I don't snap to people, like my, I, my friends are on Snapchat nominally, you know, but I don't have very many friends who are kind of like heavy Snapchat users. So like I put, a, I, I snapped something to my story and then that's it. Like nothing happens well, on it, as opposed that. to, as opposed to like Instagram, Facebook, where you get likes, you get comments, you get feedback, something like that. So today I, I snapped a picture of my dog, one of my dogs, Nelson, mm -hmm. who has this thing when I'm working from home where he decides to hide under the desk and then pop his, his head up between my legs sure. so that I can't work. So I snapped that. And then one of my students snapped back personally and said, okay. I expect him to be at the broadcaster meeting tonight that I was holding. So Okay. I did get some feedback. Maybe gotcha. they just don't think you're cool enough to snap. Maybe they're concerned. Oh, they know, about I, oh, they know I'm not cool. That, that they're shit like, sailed a long time ago. Right. So I think you just, this is, this is the thing though, because it's actually the system working the way it's intended because you're not supposed to be there. So therefore mm -hmm. you're not going to get the feedback. Right. And they, that's really the, that's the repellent mechanism, I guess, for Snapchat. But I am going to be interested as if, if it's it's your it's your just innate desire to be constantly reinforced, Brian. Oh, to oh, totally. I've been in therapy for years over that. But um, 
<laughs> but I am interested as they add as they add like this Discover tab, which came out a few years ago with ESPN, and as like news and sports organizations and, and media outlets start adding content and making it watchable so that all of a sudden hey you don't have to be it's kind of like how you can be on facebook but not post stuff or on twitter and kind of lurk and still get value out of it now that's the the thing can you be on snapchat not be a super active snapper title and yet still um still get something out of it still get value out of it that's gonna be inter- actually seriously interesting with the with the with the app going forward we need to move on to our next topic, uh, but uh, we'll continue to, to follow the Sports Center on Snapchat thing as it goes along. Um, mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and, and take a quick interlude here, though, and let's do uh, one of our running segments that we plan on, on bringing back maybe more regularly than the others. It's been a, a kind of a built-in element of the flip side since we first started doing this a few years ago. Uh, the Beers of the Flip Side segment, yes. where we try to give you something that either you haven't had before or you need to have, and maybe you just had a bunch of. Uh, so right. I'll I'll let you go first, Brian. What have, you, right. been, what, what have you been drinking that is exemplary? So I can I can give you something right now that I'm drinking during recording, since we're doing going this old school style. This is a Blanche de Chambly. Uh, it is by Unibro uh, Brow. I don't know. I actually don't know how you pronounce it. Uh, it's a brewery from Quebec. They make Lafitte Mont, which is one of my favorite Belgian beers. This is a ale brewed with coriander and orange peel. It's 5%. Very, very tasty. Kind of, it, it's got that good heartiness of a Belgian, but you know, it's only 5%. So it doesn't have that enormous kick that you'll see. And it doesn't have that kind of weightiness that I find a lot of Belgian beers have. So uh, definitely one of the the type of beer you can have more than one and not have a complete have your evening completely fall apart. I mean, you call it falling apart. I call it being delightful. Uh, <laughs> I also I think we've talked about this. I I struggle with the Belgian yeasts. I just don't think they taste right on my palate. And I know I'm in the wrong here. I'm not blaming no. not blaming the Belgians by any means, but it just it just I can never get my my tongue wrapped around one of those and feel like I'm having a good time with it. Yeah, so, all right. So. Yeah, I um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you too, and and it's and and it makes me it makes me feel like a bad beer drinker because I feel like the you know, like the Belgians are like you know held up as like the pinnacle and and kind of a pedestal, especially I don't know. I feel maybe it's an East Coast thing because we have a lot of good Belgian breweries around here and we have access to them, but I don't know. It feels like I should like them more than I actually do. Yeah. Uh, the one I've got is a it's it's local in as much as it's from Indiana, although it's about as far away in Indiana from Bloomington as you can get and still stay in the state. But this is from uh, what I think is by far our best brewery in the state, Three Floyds Brewing Company. We featured some of their beers before. Uh, had this last night, actually. It's the Three Floyds Laser Snake uh, American IPA, uh, 7% alcohol by volume. It is a... A combination of uh, of Bavarian hops, uh, so it's got a kind of an, an unfiltered flavor to it. Uh, it's smooth. Uh, it's only a 55 IBU. Uh, I think uh, what we'll do, at least for mine this week, is I'm also going to supplement the beer of the flip side entry by also quoting from some very bad beer rating poetry. Oh, uh, please do. I, yes, that I found on Beer Advocate that describes <laughs> this beer. Um, okay. Poor, Pours hazy and straw yellow in color. White finger width head that displays fair retention before peeling back to a thin, consistent layer of suds. 
Um, the taste follows the nose. Moderate, bright citrus that hints at lemon with a hint of orange peel bitterness. Touch of tropical notes that quickly fade. Light earth. Crackery malt undertone. Quick finish, leaving an aftertaste that is mildly bitter with citrus pith. So, there I you go. I, I can't believe Someone. Shakespeare left that out of Macbeth. <laughs> Someone named the Sixth Ring wrote that <laughs> eight days ago. Uh, okay, I got nothing. I, 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 got, I, I, I can't follow beer poetry. I thought we were doing well when we did our dramatic readings of the NCAA rule book earlier this <laughs> earlier this summer, but no, that wins. That absolutely. That's some, that I love, as, as Brian and I have talked about in the past, I am a, a big fan of the ridiculous tasting notes that what wine generally yes. generates, you know, right. hints of coriander and a touch of chocolate, chocolate. combined yep. with like an earth and coffee feel. Yes. Like, yeah, no. like what are we doing as a society? But anyway, uh, beer well, has been, beer has been getting them as well. Right. I feel like we need to bring some light to these. Right. And, and, and look, they're only BS because nobody actually tastes those things. Like if you go to a wine tasting, you don't actually taste the hint of coriander and chocolate. The person who's pouring it says you're okay. This is a Merlot with hints of coriander and chocolate. Yes. And you taste them like, Oh yeah, I taste. No, you taste wine. The, the beer I'm drinking of, it tastes like beer. It's delicious beer that's good enough yeah so let's go ahead and switch topics and jump to our next one and this is the one that actually would also double for another internet outrage of the week that we didn't join which is one of our set pieces that right. we're not using this week but twitter in 280 yep uh, it was it was rolled out to a small number of people a few weeks ago where they gave them 280 characters double the original 140 and then at the end of last week they gave it to pretty much everybody, except for a couple of people who feel left out because they still don't have it. And mm -hmm. I don't know about you, Brian. I don't see the big deal. And I, I don't, I haven't noticed a huge difference in my Twitter feed, except for a couple of jerks who have decided to do jerky things with the 280. But by and large, it's been fine. I don't think it's completely changed the experience. I don't think it's changed how people are using the medium. It might eventually, but as of now, I, my take on this is kind of much ado about nothing. See, I disagree. I, uh, I, I think that I, I have noticed the change. I have noticed a lot more longer tweets. I have noticed a lot more, not just the jerky ones, like when everyone got 280 and was doing like the spelling out tacos thing or like the Yankees listing their all of their World Series championships or whatever kind of gimmicky thing. But I have noticed a lot one. And I think, I mean, I, I, I kind of disagree. I think it's going to fundamentally change kind of the user experience of Twitter for uh, for a lot of people. I just, I, I and, and I have nothing scientific behind this. I have no empirical data behind this. I just kind of have a feel and for it. And when I go to Twitter now, it feels a lot more... I don't know. It feels a lot more mentally exhausting to me to have it. And again, I, 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 I don't know why I don't particularly have a dog in the fight about whether it should be 280 or not. But as I scroll, have, have found myself scrolling through Twitter, it just, it, it, it does feel like, um, you know, the, 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 the pieces are, the, the tweets can be longer. The tweets are a little more, uh, you know, two to three sentences instead of one. And it just feels more taxing. It feels more overwhelming. And I don't know, like, like part of the, the beauty, the good, one of the good things that I always found out, found about Twitter was the kind of scrolly nature of it. Right. It was kind of like the, one of the original applications that for me, 
personal use, your mileage may vary on how you use Twitter, what was very good for the quick catch up or the I'm bored in line at Wegmans and there's three people ahead of me break out the phone and okay, I can kind of see what's going on Twitter wise. And, you know, adding adding 140 characters, like when you put it in a character count, it doesn't sound like too much like, ooh, you go up to 280 characters, BFD. But that that's from like 35 to 70 words which all of a sudden goes from like a good, tight, well-written news lead to a bloated sophomore needs a rewrite lead. I don't know. I, 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 I know you're, you're, you're shaking your head on the video feed, so we're having an actual disagreement here, which we rarely have. And I don't know. It, it, it just, it, it just it, it feels off to me. It feels like it's a subtle I, – I do feel like it's a subtle change. Like it's not all of a sudden Twitter sucks. I mean, a lot of reasons Twitter has sucked for a long time, but I don't feel like I, I, I just feel like there's been this small but fundamental shift in how people are using it and how I'm consuming it. And it just it, it does. It, it feels different to me. That's fair. I mean, I'm not going to argue your perception. I mean, because mm -hmm. that's you have to live in your mind. Uh, so. All I'll say is I'm I'm scanning through my Twitter feed right now as I'm listening to you talk and I'm looking for the big difference. And I mean, there's a couple of longer tweets, but there, I mean, I can still, I've got three tweets here that are basically all 280 characters and I can still get three tweets onto my phone app at any one time. And, okay. you know, I mean, with the old one, I was maybe getting four, okay. four and a half. I mean, like, I, I'm just not seeing the huge difference. And, and I think where you're looking at it and saying, oh, this is bloated and needs editing i'm looking at it and saying wow a little more context a little more uh a little more development of thought process uh, uh, the ability to hashtag a little bit more and maybe connect with more audiences uh, i've noticed it myself where uh, i've been able to better explain things that i've wanted to explain and not take up huge amounts of words but add five or six words to a tweet where i'm you know, trying to make a particular point or I'm trying to talk about a particular topic and I've liked it so far. I think that, uh, you know, it might actually end up making Twitter in the long run a more palatable place to visit because everybody's not being so glib in the way that they describe things. Uh, and you're also not, I mean, look, the, one, of the, one of the things that's really disturbed me about how Twitter's developed over the course of the last two years is the explosion of Twitter threads, you know, this okay. idea, you know, it's like, you know, um, you know, Donald Guys, it's, Trump time, it's time for some game theory, one slash 18. <laughs> right. And, and then you're like, okay, well, this isn't Twitter either. And, and I mean, granted, you're not, you're not necessarily seeing all of those unless you click on that first thread and then you read straight down. But mm -hmm. I mean, if we're worried about, you know, uh, bloated and needed of editing, I, that's a much bigger problem than any than the 280 characters thing. If anything, it's going to allow those sorts of tweet storms to be a little more compact, uh, you know, and be a little less, I guess, kind of invasive into people's timelines. So, I mean, it's still early on in the process. There's still going to there's still a lot of change that needs to be had in terms of how people approach uh, using it. But I think this might actually open up the medium a little bit. And it might get more people participating, which might then attract more people back into using Twitter. Because, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, you're still talking about uh, a social media platform that has fewer people than LinkedIn, fewer people than Snapchat, fewer people than Instagram, fewer people than Pinterest. And there's a reason for that. Like, if, if all of those other things are being used more, and yet Twitter's where all the news is happening, 
you got to change something to make it a little bit easier for people to express what they're feeling. And I think this is actually a pretty good step forward. See, I, I, I only disagree because I don't get the sense. Like my wife is a non-Twitter user. Like, you know, she tweets, she doesn't tweet. She doesn't listen to my podcast. She doesn't tweet. Um, and what does she do exactly? <laughs> she runs my house. Are you kidding me? She's the one doing actually all, all, like making my, make sure my daughter has food in the morning and like clothes to wear. So she's <laughs> doing the, she's doing the Lord's work. I'm down here by the water cooler talking about this stuff. Um, water heater, I should say. Um, but I, 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 so for people, I, I, I don't know. I guess I'm just skeptical of the notion that, so Twitter has been around for what? 11 years now, like it started in 2006, kind of for about seven, six, seven years now, it's kind of been like a thing that's like outside of like the super nerdy tech slash journalism world, like widespread adoption, right? So seven years, people have been using it. After seven years, it's still kind of topped out at the 24, 25% usage, right? I don't think people know twitter and I, I i don't know i'm skeptical of the idea that giving people 70 you know 280 characters instead of 140 is going to be what brings people into the tent is what's going to be to be bringing people to be like twitter's not for me twitter's not for me oh i can type my hi dog i t t twitter's twitter i can type more oh finally i can tweet and now i feel it i uh i i, I don't know i i i you know it, it might be you might be right. It might, I mean, I, it might bring I, I, more people I, I, into the tent, but I just, I, I guess my thought is what's, why aren't, ask your wife, why isn't yeah. she on Twitter? So, um, you know, it, it's interesting. I think there are, so, so some of the reasons that I have found both my wife and talking to students who aren't active on Twitter and talking to, you know, kind of like, why aren't you, you involved in this medium? Um, there is a level of inscrutability to Twitter if you're not used to it, you know, with what an at reply is. How do I respond to this? You know, uh, what's a, ha you know, kind of uh, initially understanding what hashtags are, but especially like the system of at replies and who can see what can be kind of weird. Um, you know, Twitter can also be the, the, the place where kind of like my Instagram problem or my, 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 my Snapchat problem, where if you don't kind of have interaction with people where like they at you and you at them and you kind of get a conversation, it's just kind of like following people and occasionally you tweet, but that's like, you know, shouting into the endless void and you don't really get a reaction. You, you don't get a response. You don't kind of get that, 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 that feedback. And so I really do, I, I think that people do that and they see it and it's like, oh, well, this is dumb and, and, and shrug it off. And I feel like by this point, you know, Twitter's so interesting as a company and so kind of, you know, as, as a platform and, and all this, because like I said, it's been around so long, so much news happens there. We've talked about why, you know, why does Trump tweet and not Facebook? Because all the journalists and all kind of like the, uh, you know, the, the traditional gatekeepers and media people are on Twitter. So he tweets, that's where he puts his statements out so they can get media coverage. And yet, you look at the use and I'm consistently just flabbergasted at the use numbers of Twitter and how low they are compared and how kind of stagnant they are. Well, you know, they're not my, growing. My thought is then you got to do something to shake the platform up because you're, you're going to be in a position where you're constantly losing ground to Facebook in, an, in a business environment where you can't afford to lose any more ground to Facebook. And right, so maybe this isn't the answer, but within the, them for trying, 
good on them for trying something. I mean, it's not, yeah. you know, I, I think it's, a, I think it's a, like I said, I think it's a fundamental change, but I also don't think it's a fatal change, you know? No, it's, okay. And I think, you know? I, I think people will find at the end of the day that it's actually, it might actually enhance part of the equation as opposed to, to uh, making it worse, but we'll see. Anyway, yeah. we got, we got to get to our last topic, but we need to get to our last intermediate before we get to that. Our, one of our, yes. uh, our final set pieces, as it were here. Um, so uh, we don't, advertise here on on the flip side we might consider it if someone was interested but mm -hmm. until then uh we've decided to try to provide you the listener with something to compensate uh so of course one of the uh one of the big things that you'll hear advertised on podcasts across the country is uh services that ship you pre-measured ingredients uh, that you can then cook into tasty dinners, right? And mm -hmm. there's a whole array of things that you can do. Well, we just decide to skip the pre-arranged stuff. We're not going to ship you anything, but we will give you uh, some cooking advice or some food topics. Right. And, and, uh, and you had one, you, were, you had a question you were going to ask me regarding this. Um, well, I did. And, and, and the name of this segment, just so everyone knows, it's Galen's Blue Apron Substitute. Um, and Are we allowed to use the Blue Apron name? I was trying to dance around that a little bit. Whatever. We, I, I host two podcasts. They are literally the only two podcasts in the world Blue Apron doesn't sponsor. So nuts to them. Um, so, um, so yeah, so, so you, um, and I will throw in cooking advice on this time to time, but you are, are, are of the two of us, the, the, the chef, the, 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 the food guy. Um, and so I know I did notice on your Snapchat back to that, um, you had a lot of spices that you were showing off and it appeared to be a pizza night at your house. So kind of walk us through <laughs> your, uh, your pizza process here. Well, it's not a pizza night, actually. It's, okay. uh, so we, uh, when, when my wife lived in the fair city of Chicago, uh, she took me one time to this place called the Spice House, which is a, uh, a spice house house in <laughs> Evanston, Illinois. And they also have a location in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And they, they have several different spices there. They have a lot of, you know, just kind of plain spices, paprika and garlic and ginger and things like that that you can purchase in bulk or in individual shakers, but they also have their own spice mixes. And so when we were up in Milwaukee back in late July, we stopped into the spice house up there and we bought something called historic third ward seasoning, which is according to the, uh, the list of ingredients, a combination of kosher flake salt, telecherry pepper, garlic, juniper, and scallions. Okay. Um, which I was like, well, that looks interesting. And so I brought it home and I didn't use it too much. And then one day I got the idea that I'm going to use this in my omelet that I make, you know, cause I, I'm a, I'm a pretty big eggs fan. So, you know, just, just cracked a couple eggs, scrambled them, put them in the, uh, in the skillet and started cooking this omelet, shook some of this historic third word seasoning into it. And man, that was good. That was uh, a really just remarkable change to the flavor, uh, the, the salt combined with you know, the particular type of pepper and then that kind of little, uh, the, the, the scallion -y flavor going along just really brightened up the eggs and it made them mm. far more palatable than it would have been with what I normally do, which is like shake some like Tony Zachary's Cajun seasoning in and maybe a little bit of garlic. This was like a step above that. So what I would advise people to do, if you're not doing it already, and many of you who, who cook regularly, that you do use these spice mixes, but some of you don't. And, and many of you are just kind of cooking either without spices at all, which shame on you for that, or 
you're cooking with just like, you know, pepper and that's it or salt and that's it. Mm -hmm. But I would, I would highly recommend, uh, first of all, try going to the Spice House website. They're very excellent. They're not paying us for any of this, but go to the Spice House website. Maybe try a couple of their seasonings. You've probably got a local place that has it. I mean, I think William Sonoma has a lot of really interesting spice seasoning available. Um, uh, health food markets normally have these, but try them on different things, whether it's eggs or whether it's chicken or things, uh, pork, things that don't necessarily have a lot of intrinsic flavor to themselves. You'll be surprised mm -hmm. at how that will brighten things up. Uh, you know, and you, it's kind of trial and error. You got to find the stuff that you like, find the stuff that you don't and find the quantity to utilize it in. But I would highly recommend going that direction um, just to, just to, to throw a little bit of a different flavor and you might find that you really like something. Yeah, we eat a lot of, we eat a lot of boneless chicken breasts in our house and the spice rubs and the spice packs, I mean, that's a game changer and almost required for a cut of meat like yeah. that. That doesn't have a lot of fat. You know, you can marinate it, but it doesn't, it's not the, 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 a spice rubber just kind of sprinkling spices on before you go. I mean, that's really, I, I it's funny. I've never thought of a spice pack for eggs. I'm going to yeah. have to try that. That would be, that sounds really good. Is Eggs, it, is it that third word? Is it spicy or is it just kind of more like a rich kind of flavor? It's a salty kind of savory flavor. Okay. Um, it's not spicy at all. It's, it's, um, I mean, part of the problem is a lot of times people don't add enough salt and pepper as bases to their sure. food in the first place, but no, it's not really spicy. It's, 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 um, like they recommend, Add one to two teaspoons per pound of steak, pork, wild game, turkey, or chicken. It's also very good in soups and salads. So mm -hmm. that gives you kind of an idea of the, the ballpark. Um, there's another mixture called, um, well, it's called Lakeshore Drive Seasoning, but there's a version called Fox Point Seasoning, which is very good on fish. Uh, we use that on, on, on fish all the time or shrimp. Um, there's like those sorts of things, I think, um, when you've got really good meat, but it's not necessarily stuff that has like it's not like a like a steak, which has normally got a lot of really intrinsic flavor in in it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would highly recommend doing a kind of a, a a trial and error thing to figure out what you like and what flavors are good. I'm just always amazed at the number of people who don't do that. They they yeah. don't take the time you know, to season their stuff at all. And it's like, well, that's why your cooking sucks generally. Like it it will get better if you start figuring out that flavors often come from the stuff you add, not just the dish itself. Right. I mean, just learning, I mean, uh, you know, just learning the good way just of, of salting, like pasta water and salting food, yes. you know, using salt, um, itself, just that, that alone is, is, is a huge boost to your game. So we, I will, I will put a link to the, uh, to, uh, the spice house and his, and the seasoning mixes in show notes for the episode and for the beers too, if you're interested. And I will get the pretentious poetry in there too for uh, that. Let's go ahead and move to our third and final topic. We're, we're going to run a little over time this time, but not too much. Uh, we're, we're really making an effort. Both of us <laughs> generally talk too much. So yes. we're, we're making an effort to try to keep it down a little bit. But let's, let's talk about something that's dear and dear to both of our hearts. As the season starts, college basketball's back. And it's like every year the same stories come out. Like, how do we save college basketball? How do we make college basketball uh, more palatable to more people? And, you know, you covered the sport. I've covered the sport. I've broadcasted the sport. Um, we follow it closely. I guess the question ends up being, do you think college basketball needs saving or is it okay where it's at right now? 
I mean, after St. Bonaventure lost the season opener at home to Niagara the other day, yeah, it needs a <laughs> whole lot of freaking saving. Maybe St. Bonaventure needs saving. Sport, sp- between that and the Bills game, sports is just the worst, and it's everything sucks. But no, um, they, Bonaventure was without uh, A-10 player of the year uh, for that game, who's kind of nursing an early season ankle injury. They'll be fine. All will be well. I don't think, you know, okay. Does it need saving? And I, and I feel like a lot of these conversations are taking on an extra urgency this year with the whole point shape, the whole bribery FBI scandal indictment thing that's that's happening. Um, look, does the game need saving? I mean, if you're looking at it from a large standpoint of the players need to get paid or be able to get make money or get rid of one and dones or kind of like those kind of structural changes, coaching have coaches having too much power, scout, you know, transfer rules, all that. Yeah, I think that there, there's some things that could be done to save. Uh, save might be too strong a word, but to improve the overall landscape of college basketball. But in terms of does the game need saving? I don't know. It's still pretty fun to watch. It's still, you know, it again, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, what do we, what, what do people want when they say they want to save college basketball? Like, what are they looking oh. for? You know, did they, did they want the 1980s big East, you know, where yes. Patrick Ewing's around That's exactly what they want. Or they want Duke from the Duke teams from the '90s, where like or, you know everyone's around for a couple of years, and and, and 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 you can see it. And I I, I don't know. I, I, I think you know part of, the, part of the problem is this: that if you look at college basketball, who are the people that criticize college basketball the most? It's generally people who are NBA fans mm-hmm. and like NBA adherents, and so they are very much. The, the argument's always, well, I don't understand why people would want to watch college basketball because it's an inferior product to, to pro basketball. The, the teams aren't very good. The offenses aren't very good. The, you know, the, there's, there's a lot of players that just don't have a lot of individual skill, which makes most of the stuff that goes on out on the court very basic. And why would you voluntarily choose to watch that when you could watch the highest plane of basketball uh, and, you know, that being far more entertaining. So debating or not whether or not it's more entertaining, I, I find it fascinating that college basketball gets those sorts of things levied at it. And yet college football not only doesn't get those things levied at it, but there's people who actively say, man, college football is a lot more entertaining than than pro football. You know, it's there's more emotion. The games are, are more fun. There's a lot more going on. That's the sort of deal that I think is, is really interesting with this because college basketball gets held to an impossibly high standard. Basically, um, oh, it's not the NBA, therefore it sucks. Right. And nobody says about college football, oh, it's not the NFL, it sucks. Right. So first and foremost, I think that's an issue. And I think that that's, to a, to a large degree, part of the problem that we see with this debate is that it's disingenuous to a large degree. I think the people that want college basketball to become more and more like the NBA are missing the fact that it's a different version of the sport. And yeah, of course you're going to have worse players, uh, you know, than the NBA. Of course you're going to have some games that certainly are not as aesthetically pleasing as the NBA, but that's because it's college. Cause you're, right. you've got, you know, you've got a lot more teams. You've got a different sort of setup, so there's that. I also think, I mean, look, there's no question to me that college basketball is terribly run. And I think that that, yes. that creates problems that people are 
um, sensitive to in terms of the way that they view the sport. Uh, and, and I'm certainly sensitive to them as well. I mean, you know, we've talked for a while about having, you know, a czar or a commissioner of college basketball and how that might fix a lot of things. So there's certainly things that can be fixed in college basketball, but the idea that college basketball needs to be saved, I just, I just don't know if I buy it. I mean, the, the idea that, that uh, you need to just completely ape the professional game, and if you're not doing that, you're, you're wasting your time, to me, that's a waste of time. You know, I mean, and, and if, if all you're doing, and this is what I find with most of these people that have these criticisms, if all you're doing is crafting a, a, a you know, a, a viewing experience that's just watching the development of potential NBA players, well, I don't think anything is going to turn your head around and make you say, wow, this is actually pretty enjoyable, because if that's all you're approaching it for, you're probably never going to be satisfied with what you see. Right. I, I, I mean... Look, I, 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 I don't think either one of us has done kind of any kind of statistical analysis or kind of like breakdown of the game to know whether like level of play is worse. Like, you know, you can look it up right now, but like points per game, shooting percentage, three point percentage, kind of like any kind of quantifiable measures that the game is not as good as it was, you know, in this mythical heyday that everyone is talking about the one college bas- one of the college basketball that they want. I do think that one thing that is really hurting college basketball, and it's kind of to your point, is that the NBA is really good right now and really compelling right now. Like the, the there are great storylines and you have the Warriors and you have LeBron and you have uh, uh, Oklahoma City and, and you have a lot of really good teams and a lot of really interesting stories that can compel that that casual fans will watch. And that when they watch that and all of a sudden they come and they're going to watch Michigan and Wisconsin on a big Monday in February yeah, it's going to be inferior because, of course, it's inferior. You have the best players in the world, you know, at a high point in the in the game versus college kids. You know, yeah. some of whom are very good. Are there who all of whom are very well, good? They're Division One athletes. Let me ask you this: Jay Billis had an interesting proposal in this series of proposals that he put forward, which was basically, um, what if Division One basketball was cut? by 66%. So that instead of having 351 teams, you only had about 120 teams. Hmm. So make it basically kind of like like football, which only like has one and one a, yeah. Or one, one, yeah. a, one double a or whatever, like subdivision, whatever they're called now, but one a and one double a, something like that. That could be interesting because that's probably an underrated, uh, a stretch, you know, there are like, you know, in the NFL, there aren't 32 franchise quarterbacks, you know, there aren't what 326 times 331 times 15 that level division one players anymore, you know, not even counting one and done. So, I mean, the um, idea, the idea would be like, and this, I guess the reason I asked you in particular is this might hurt at school like St. Bonaventure where, you know, a player might be willing to go to a lower level school because they're going to get more playing time. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if, you know, if I'm, the A10 would probably be fine, but if like the Mac or right. the, the, or the America East or America East, like that's the players are going to be going to a higher level if they're at all good, right? Because 
they're just not going to want to compete at a lower level. I don't know. I mean, it's it would it would certainly make the tournament more interesting. Well, I mean, because I, you'd have you wouldn't. I mean, but but by the same token, you'd also not have a lot of the underdog stories that you get in some of those first round matchups. I, I mean, look, that, that that it's an interesting idea. I mean, it presupposes that what's good for college basketball is you have like all the talent concentrated at a few teams and that ever uh, that and, and, and lower levels n- kind of nuts to them which probably i can see that but a- as someone who's been around kind of like the mid-major and low major basketball for most of my career you know i have a kind of a special soft spot for that i like that level of basketball is it good is it like com- com- comparable to what you guys see in indiana no not even close but uh, but i don't know it, it, it just seems like um, I don't think the problem with college basketball is that Binghamton hasn't had a winning record since I blew up the program. Um, <laughs> I think that um, I, I think there are bigger. I, I think that you know there are kind of more, like you said, there are systemic issues w- with it and with college basketball. And um, I don't know. Yeah, to 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 say that it's being to saved, you know, that just comes back to that saved to what what do we want college basketball to look like because the alternative if we if we accept that we want it to be like what it used to be well then it's really unpaid minor league baseball basketball for four years for players who should be able to come go pro and be making a lot of money in a league that people where people want to see them so i don't think that's necessarily a kind of socially progressive so you know kind of mindset to take to sports right now that kind of seems like let's go back to the olden days when you know let's make college basketball great again blah 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 i just turned this political but i don't think there's anything really um i don't know that's not forward thinking to me so i i, I think that you know it might take some hard hard look at the ncaa and of governance of these schools like what do we want college basketball to be um yeah well We'll have to solve that next time. Meanwhile, yes. if you're if you happen to be listening to this while we're recording it, if you are, that's creepy. This is a really good game between Duke and Michigan State. I highly recommend tuning in and watching the remaining ten minutes of it. So, awesome. Anyway, thank you all for listening, Brian. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, I'm just looking forward to. I, I, I'm looking forward to the new format. I'm looking forward to. Um, uh, to more Blue Apron substitutes uh, for the week. Oh, one thing I do want to mention as a set piece. So it's been a, a standard of the of the flip side that if you give us a topic, we will spend at least one minute on it. Well, we're kind of changing that up with the new format. So we still invite your questions. Give us your topics at FlipsidePod or hashtag FlipsidePod on Twitter. But the way we're going to do it is we are going to take one topic the best topic or the most interesting topic that you all suggest, and we are going to spend exactly one minute on it. Precisely. Right. So, uh, so give us your topics, and we will, we will give you the best one minute we have on it. Wonderful. Anyway, Brian, thank you, as always. A lovely time with you on this, and thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to uh, the various noises being generated by my house behind me. Our apologies for the poor recording quality, but that's what you get on the flip side. So, uh, folks, take it easy. Uh, be sure to tune in next week. We'll be back recording, and we'll try to have this out every week. For Brian, I'm Galen. We'll catch you folks on the flip side. So long, everybody.